And when I heard that story, I just paused because I thought, isn't that the truth? When we stop revering God, when we become more in awe with ourselves, we become less in awe of, of God. Welcome to the Stream Roots Podcast, where you'll learn how God's unchanging truth can be applied in our ever-changing world. Through conversations with pastors and ministry leaders, you'll be encouraged, equipped, and challenged in your walk with Christ. Stream Roots is designed for pastors and leaders in the church, but is helpful for all people. And now your host, Pastor Mark Pospisil. So glad to have you join us for this episode on rightful reverence, never losing all for God. With me is my friend and producer, the John Blosser. John, how you doing? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Just here in the midst of Advent for our church. Ah, yeah. Church calendar. Yep. Getting ready for Christmas. Yeah. Did you they- chop down a Christmas tree yet? No, we, my wife's a minimalist. Oh. And so we have this thin tree that sits in our basement. Like a Charlie Brown tree? It's, yeah, but it's it's fake. And so oh, that's the okay. way we do it. We did a real tree a couple times. Yeah. And it just was a disaster, like really messy and big and smelled. And so we decided just to do it this way. We chopped down one yesterday. It was sweet. Oh, nice. Pouring down rain. Okay. It's awesome. Just decorate it? Not yet. We yeah. got to let it sit outside for a little bit. Okay. Dry it out a little bit? Well, it's in a bucket of water. Oh, but got it. All right. Well, well, so glad that you guys are here. Uh, today we have a special guest for this episode. Joining us is Joy Lee, the founder of Barn 45. Joy was on the podcast earlier this year and I asked her to join us again for this important issue of reverence. Welcome, Joy. Could you share a little bit about your life and ministry with us? Sure. Well, thanks for having me back, both of you. I oh, appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. Uh, yeah, so I was, I was, I had the privilege of being here about six months ago, we've realized now, and, um, I'm just delighted to be here. So my husband and I, um, built Barn 45, which is just a heart, not just, but it's a heart hospital, uh, that ministers to, uh, our community and beyond. So we started a Bible study in COVID and it hit all 50 states and 12 different countries. And so we still have this ongoing morning Bible study that you, Mark, have been on a couple times now. And I'm so thankful for that. And we're walking and kind of systematically walking through uh, Genesis and unfolding the pages and the treasures and the gems that we get to just dive into every day. And it's life transformational for others, but in particular, myself. Yeah, it's been it's been extraordinary. Love it. We're huge supporters of Barn 45 here at our church. And personally, uh, so many of our uh, people, especially our women of our church, are so connected there and mm. growing spiritually through that. And so I uh, love what you do over there. And I got well, this. Well, I got I to gotta interject yeah. because the women from your church, that's, that's what drew me to your church because they're such servers. They have this authentic love for, for Jesus. And I started to ask them, what church do you go to? <laughs> and there was this common denominator about the Lakes Church. Mm. So that's really where, I don't know if I reached out to you or how it all happened, but I'm like, I got to get to know what's going on over at that church because leadership trickles down and I can see what's happening in the congregation. It's extraordinary. Well, praise God. We have the power of the gospel and the spirits at work. We have amazing mm. people. So uh, I, 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 love our, I love our church. I love our people and uh, love Bar 45. Let's jump into our discussion. I want to read. I'm actually really excited about this topic because mm. it's important. Uh, you can shipwreck your life and your ministry. Uh, it's really costly if you mess this up. Uh, our hearts tend to just treat the things of God commonly at times when we get so familiar with it. So I want to start reading from the book of Numbers in Numbers 20. Uh, it's a scene where Moses 
is frustrated. And here's what God's word says. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. There's a deep warning and cautionary tale here in Numbers 20. Moses loses his awe and reverence for the Lord, and it costed him dearly. This whole event happens after continually grumbling and complaining by the people of Israel. that There wasn't that food, there wasn't water, there, God wasn't good. And so the Lord instructed Moses to tell the rock to have water come out of it. If you know, previously Moses struck a rock and God told him to do that. This time he t- had him to tell the rock. Instead, Moses takes the staff, the staff of God, and strikes the rock. The staff was representing power and authority. And Moses uses that to showcase his authority instead of showcasing God's glory by the miracle of speaking to the rock. The Lord tells Moses that he will not lead the people into the promised land because of this rash decision. It's devastating effects. There's a danger we face in losing our awe and reverence for the Lord. We can get so familiar with the things of God that we cannot let complacency set in. There are many examples of this. Think of Uzzah in 2 Samuel who touched the Ark of the Covenant. They were transporting the ark on a cart, and he flippantly put out his hand to touch it when the oxen stumbled. The Lord struck him dead on the spot. Think of Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. They were the priests who treated the sacrifices of God that the people brought to the Lord with contempt. They made themselves rich and fat and slept with the women who served at the tent of the meeting, and they paid for it with their lives. Think of Nadab and Abihu who offered unauthorized fire on the Lord's altar in the book of Leviticus. Now the Lord consumed them. Think of Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Spirit in Acts 5, and it cost, again, it cost them their lives. When the things of God become commonplace in our hearts, we are in deep trouble. So how do you keep your reverence for God? What ways can we avoid losing our awe for the Lord? We're going to answer these questions and more on this episode of Streamers. All right, Joyce, so what does reverence for God mean, and what does that look like? You know, that's a great, great question. I'm, I've been praying on the way here how to start this conversation because, as John just so eloquently stated, there's there's a margin in between friendship and reverence for our Father God, him being king, but him also being our best friend. And uh, one story I heard uh, that I feel like will s- just kind of be the backdrop for today, where uh, Jim Baker, as we know, he is fa- he was a pastor. He had fallen 
And he had gone to prison for that, which he was doing. And Billy Graham went to go visit him. In fact, Billy Graham invited him to live with him after his jail sentence for a time being is what I've actually heard. But Billy Graham goes and visits him in jail. And he says to Jim Baker, he said, Jim, when did you stop loving Jesus? And I guess he looked at, at Billy Graham and he said, I never stopped loving Jesus. I stopped revering him. Mm. And when I heard that story, I just paused because I thought, isn't that the truth? When we stop revering God, when we become more in awe with ourselves, we become less in awe of, of God. We took, my son lives in Arizona, we took a trip to um, the Grand Canyon last year. And, you know, we were so excited because I've heard it's like a spiritual experience. When you go to the Grand Canyon, you realize how small you are, right? Because it's so massive and beautiful and gorgeous and majestic. And uh, we got there and there was just a whiteout everywhere. You couldn't even see in front of you at all. I didn't even know what we were staring at. And I, we got back in our car, and I literally had to look on YouTube what the Grand Canyon looked like, even though I was right in front of it, looking down at canyons upon canyons upon canyons, and couldn't see a thing. And I thought, you know, sometimes that's how it is in our culture, especially our Christian culture. We tend to, we tend to not be able to see how beautiful and grand and majestic and glorious and, you know, wonderful that's beyond our ability to even have a thesaurus type of word for it. Uh, because we're blinded, we have this veil on us, it says in Second Corinthians, I believe, that we have this veil and we really can't see God's glory for 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 what it is. And um, in fact, I wrote it down last night, it says Second Corinthians 3.18, it says, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into his glorious image. So if we haven't had that veil removed, we're not going to be able to see the glory and then reflect the glory of our Father. And I feel like sometimes in this culture we live in, it's more this chum-chum, God is my best friend, which is great, but we've lost we've lost the, the Isaiah 6 where he comes into God's presence that we get to come into the throne room daily. And we get to go into his presence where right now, as you and I and John and are all sitting here right now, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels are all saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Right. And so that in the earth or the, the heavens shake and the thresholds shake and, and the ground shakes and, and the, the, you know, his robe, you know, fills the atmosphere and, you know, that type of awe for our God, because when we have a fear of God, the fear of man is eradicated. But when we're lacking the fear of God, we have an epidemic of fear of man, fear of, you know, just life in itself. And I personally wrestled with fear my whole life. I still do. But a lot of it was because I wasn't experiencing that fear, that reverence, that holiness of God himself. Hmm. I like that. We were just talking a little bit before we started here and John um, made an astute observation. <laughs> what, what, what were you saying, John? Well, you, you know, culturally, especially in, you know, Christian circles, you know, we often have this, this mentality of, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. You right. know, you can, you can see the memes all over the place. Like Jesus giving you like the double thumbs up while winking at you. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I, I think that there's a tendency as we, you know, continue our process in sanctification, we continue our relationship with God, that there becomes this familiarity, which is great. We want to be familiar with God, but at the same time, we become more and more and more comfortable mm. and we don't, we don't um, have this right reverence, um, you know, to, to use the, the, um, 
the title of the podcast. We don't have this right reverence towards God. Mm -hmm. We treat him more like our friend, which is good in a sense because God is our friend, but at the same time, God is our great king. And we're not treating him as a king. We're treating him as a jester, someone that we can we can just hang out with, you know, in, in a, in a very worldly buddy sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a great idea. And, uh, I love that illustration of the grand Canyon. You were so close to it, mm-hmm. but you couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now uh, we can get so close to the things of the Lord and mm-hmm. still miss the glory of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like Moses in Exodus 33 and 34, where he says, show me your glory. And God does just a, just a glimpse of his back and mm-hmm. he falls down in worship. Yeah. Well, and if, if I could interject for a moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, reverence for God is the remedy for idolatry. And coming from one codependent person who was knee deep in idolatry, to possibly to many that are listening right now, uh, I found that experiencing the reverence of my father, revering him, truly became the antidote to all things broken in my life. So early on in my walk, I, I was ambushed by Jesus about 13 years ago. And again, I, I just, I, I believe the lie of the enemy because idolatry is basically just a perverted, twisted, counterfeit version of God's love that the enemy places in our lap, telling us that that person, that place, that thing, you know, that accomplishment, that success, that ministry, that church, that, that gift you have, that talent, whatever it might be, that's going to be the very thing that's going to provide for you what your gaping holes of your heart are needy for. It's going to satisfy the longings of your heart. It's going to fill in the broken places of your heart. And, uh, I, and I fell for them. And I kept going to all these different things. And every time I got to them, they were just a mirage. They were just an illusion. And uh, so I finally had, like we talked about last time, I finally had that breakdown to have that break open, to finally get that breakthrough that we sing about on church. But you can't have a breakthrough until you first allow yourself to have a breakdown. And when I broke down, like Isaiah, like we just mentioned in 6, and God, I, I can't even explain it, Mark and John, but it was so interesting because God's like, start from the beginning. Open up. I'm like, what does that even mean? Open up my word, start from the beginning. And I don't say think this is for everybody, but for me, he had me personally. Go back into the Old Testament. And as I walk through the Old Testament, I started to read about different cities that God would rebuild and God would take the ruins and God would destroy and then, you know, refurbish. And he was he, and he kept saying to me, Joy, you're the city and I'm the builder. And I'm the maker of your heart, and I'm going to let the, the former things crumble, the idols and the cares and the, the false gods that you've resurrected. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, crumble those and then rebuild you. And as I started to walk through the Old Testament, for the first time in my life, Mark, I started to see that God was a God that I was undone by him because I knew how filthy I was. I knew my thoughts. I knew my behaviors, I knew my tendencies, I knew my habits, and I knew my addictions, and most of them were secret. I was serving at church, doing. you would find me at the coffee center every Sunday, that's where you find me, with a smile on my face, but I would go home on Sunday afternoon, and I would close the door, and I would close the curtain, and I felt so empty, and I didn't know how to allow God to fill me in like he was filling in, you know, Jolie Smith and everybody else. I didn't know how to receive his love until I started to walk through his word and his word began to heal me. And it's the reverence of God. I don't deserve you to be talking to me. Like, don't you know who I am? I'm the woman at the well. Why would you be taking the time to come find me? And when you know that you have a God that has come found you when you deserved it the least, kind of like Hagar, 
right? Hagar from Genesis 16 that we talked about at the burn. Hagar was 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 a slave, was was a servant. She was tossed aside and looked aside and used and abused and rejected and dejected and you name it. And yet God found her at a well, just like the woman at the well in the Gospels. And, you know, when you experience a God that that leaves the 99 to come find you, to place you on his shoulders with joy and then celebrates with, you know, a party afterwards— you can't help but fall to your knees and be like, holy, 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 who is this God when everyone else has given up on me because I've worn them out? And rightfully so. I've thrown myself into this pit. It's not like you catapulted or you threw me in there. I catapulted myself in there. And yet God would never give up on me. He continuously would reach his hand in there, never co-signing my sin, but telling me that he was the remedy to my sin. And he would grab hold of me and put me on firm foundation. And when you finally let yourself have that breakdown, you can't help but have the natural byproduct of being in like total awe. Like, who is this God? You know, you can't help, you can't help it. And that's why that's really the, why there's this there's a pattern. And I love to look for patterns in the Word of God. And what I've recognized with a pattern is it starts with there's four R's and there's this recognition like. I'm recognizing I'm broken. I don't really have the remedy for it. I don't know what to do with it. But I'm recognizing I've got this codependent pattern. I'm recognizing I've got this habit. I'm recognizing I've got this negative stronghold. Like, I recognize it. And then there's this time of, oftentimes what happens and follows up is we get this time of repentance, right, where we where we just, like, Lord, I don't want it anymore. I'm giving it to you. And through that repentance, we're ushered into this time of of, of deep reverence where God is like, I'm going to take that ugly thing that people have labeled you as, and I'm actually going to use that mess as your message. I'm going to use that misery as your ministry. And then all of a sudden you're in this posture that wrecks you forever in the most beautiful way of reverence. And then and only then, Mark, do we get revival. But in the culture we live in today, like this big R word of revival, we're just going to have revival and let's have revival. Well, we can't have revival at a national level, an individual level, a church level, until we first have, we start with recognition of our own brokenness and then allow God to come in and do the surgery that he does because he's such a gentle surgeon and then draw us to that heart posture because reverence is not a behavior. Reverence is a posture, right? That then enables us to have this revival that we would see, I mean, across the board, if we all started with this beautiful, intimate time of recognition. And then if, is it okay if I keep going for just a moment? Or do you want to chime in? I, get, I see that face. I love it. No, well, I'm just thinking in like Isaiah 6. If you read Isaiah, the first five chapters, Isaiah's woe, woe to them, woe to you, woe to these people. He repeats it, I think, six times. And then finally in Isaiah 6, when he sees God's glory, he says, woe, woe is me. Woe is me. Yeah, right? I'm a man of unclean lips. Yes. And dwell among a people of unclean lips. You know, Woe is me. And huh. and is recapturing that repentance of of it's easy to look at others and but like my own heart yeah and and getting that into that spot of man God is so holy yeah and and that's the thing that's repeated them you know just again three times like the right. infinite infinite and infinite uh, aspect of that yeah and that's the thing about I think repentance and reverence I think they're married. Mm. And I think if we live in a Christian Western culture that continuously calls sin not sin any longer, you never have to go and repent of that which 
God is just delighting to take from you because he's the remedy. And then you never experience reverence from a God who took something from you that you didn't deserve to have taken from you because you should have been punished for it. But then he gives you a ministry from it. Right. And then that then that natural byproduct becomes this that 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 reverence for him. But that's what I'm starting to see, you know, in this culture. And it, you know, I'm worried about it because I tend to see that we're calling sin not sin any longer because sin is not a good word. And yet we're missing and I see we're missing out on the opportunity to fall flat on our face to see the goodness and the faithfulness and the kindness and the severity of our amazing, glorious, majestic, beautiful God. And uh, so I'll just stop right there and pause and no, let no, you that's energize. Good. That's yeah. good. I'm yeah. going to jump in. Yeah. Yeah. When you're when we're getting to a place as in society where we're no longer calling sin sin, you're cheapening God's grace. That's what it is. There it is. There oh, it is. I, I, Drop the mic. And I guess if I can maybe piggyback off that, I get it's not just society. So I think it's the when the culture bleeds into the church. Yeah. So if you think about like the early church, you think about how godless the spirit of the age. Paul says in Philippians and all of the perversion, but it was this, but, but it, the problem was when it bled into the church, like the Corinthians. Right. Right. And, and, you know, the church would be the salt of the earth and the light in the world, changing yeah. the culture and good, showing God the good, the good things of, of God's way, just as Israel is supposed to do with the 10 commandments. Um, I'm the God who redeemed you now. Here's, here's what I'm about, right? This yeah. good, good way of life. And, you know, and they totally blew it. Oh. Right. And so I think too, of like, as pastors and ministry leaders and those listening, mo- most of us here are pastors, ministry leaders and mm-hmm. leaders in different areas where right? that, that kind of buck starts with us. Yeah. If we don't have reverence for Amen. God and repentance. That's right. Yeah. You, I mean, you see it with Paul's letter to the Galatians. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, um, just the way of drifting there, yep, drifting from the gospel, drifting from the glory of God and all of those things. And yeah, our culture can be going to hell in a handbasket. Mm-hmm. And, but yet God has called us to intercede, to stand in the gap. Yeah. But how can we stand in the gap when yeah. we don't even know what gap to stand in? Right, <laughs> right. right. You know? yeah. And that's, that's where it's like, it, where we see revival. I, I study yeah. revivals. I love it. And I'm minorly obsessed with revivals because um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to just experience one deep one. Yeah. Just one, just one. Um, I'd like to lead worship at a revival. That'd, yeah. be, that'd be tight. That would be. Just be. just one, right? It it starts, we always think it starts like out oh, here. It actually starts, it, oh, oh, if you can trace revivals, it always starts inside the local church. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts with people who, who recapture the repentance. What did you, mm-hmm. what are your fours? Was it recognition? It's recognition. And then, you know, Re- and then repentance and, and uh, reverence. Sometimes reverence precedes repentance and vice sure. versa. They're sandwiched between recognition and revival, yes. for sure. Yeah, and they recapture that essence of the glory of God and repentance yeah. and they recapture the gospel. How awesome that is. And he's like, Whoa, we have really drifted. God, yeah, God still stands and offers us forgiveness. Yeah. And it's like, that's when it breaks out. Right. You know? So, right. I'm thinking what you said, because I do love that this podcast is for leaders, right. Of the church, of the church body. And when I was walking through such brokenness, I had a woman who loved me enough and she was a leader in the church and she loved me enough to call me out for my sin of missing the mark. And uh, she said, Joy, I'm going to share something with you that it's going to hurt you, but it's going to heal you because you are entering into something that you shouldn't be entering into. And if I ignore it, I'm actually not loving you. And she said, I'm willing to know that you may never want to be in life with me again or be my friend again, but I'm going to share truth with you that was coded in love. And I was mad. 
And she was right. I, I, I disconnected her with her for a bit. But had she not spoken truth into me this almost, you know, 15 years ago, uh, I would not be sitting here today. Mm. That, that leader spoke truth because she loved me more than she loved herself. And, uh, and I think as, as leaders, it is okay to speak truth about, you know, sin of the world and things that are missing the mark in order to set the captives free. You know, and because she did that for me, it enabled me to get on my face and have that breakdown and have that time of repentance and to see it for what it was to to lift the veil of that which the enemy had placed on me. I didn't even realize I was sitting in front of something so gorgeous like the Grand Canyon because it was a whiteout. Right. I was blinded to it. No, I like it. That's great. I keep going. I didn't mean to stop you. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. But as but if you want to continue, I was thinking about this the other day as, as individuals, as leaders for our, you know, for our congregation or our ministries or whatever it might be. Matthew 13, 52 is just something that I kind of stumbled on the other day. I'm sure I've read it many times, but I, I recognize this because he's talking to a teacher and I just want to share it. He said, he said to them, Jesus said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Some translations say gems or treasures. And so we as teachers, we have a we have a responsibility to be able to, you know, get out treasures and gem from his word and be able to share it with other people, the seeds that are planted then into their soil. And I thought, you know, it's in the throne room of God each day that we get our storehouses of our heart filled by him. And when we're bypassing that time each day of going into the throne room, being awe of our God, having that time of full repentance, like just search me and know, know my broken ways, like know my anxious thoughts, like just having that time each day before we even get on with our day. And I know some people have looked at me and even verbally told me that I can be very legalistic in this. And the Lord just keeps saying, Joy, you're not, you're not legalistic. It's, 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 as important as the air I breathe, that I spend time with my Father in the throne room that is separate from studying for today's message with you or the Barnes message, that it's a personal time that he fills up my storeroom. I hang by his vine. I'm in awe just like Isaiah. I give him my filthy lips, and he sends a coal to my lips, and he says, you are clean, you are whole, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are restored. Now go, girl. Go do what you have to do. And I have no business. And I know this isn't a popular message, but I'm like, we as leaders have no business thinking we can go and and share God's word without first being filled Amen. to the overflow. Thank you. I love it. To the overflow to other people. Otherwise, we become in awe of ourselves and we are no longer in awe of God. And that's the tactic of the enemy. And that's why I think he's bringing pastors down one by one by one, because we, we're, we got things to do, places to go, people to see, things, people to minister to. I don't have time to spend time in the throne room. I'll just intermix my study time with my intimate time. And it never goes well. Yep. In yep. fact, it will be the deterioration of that minister, of that church, of that ministry, whatever it might be, I have seen it over and over and over again. And the Lord said, before you even step foot into that barn, this is a promise that we're going to make. There's a covenant, Joy and Jamie and my husband and myself. It's a non-negotiable. And if that means I don't have time to do something else that seems very important, that I just don't because I cannot, just like just like the word, um, the name of God, Yahweh, they say it's like the, the air we breathe. It's the breath of God, right? And I, I literally... 
I, if I'm not spending that time and getting that very breath and the oxygen of my heart, I got nothing to give anybody else. And uh, so that I just want to just share as an encouragement to other other leaders and other pastors. And I, I have seen that's where the church is starting to to dissipate a bit. Mm. Yeah. And I love your story at the beginning of Jimmy Baker. Mm. Um, yeah. If you know Jimmy Baker, he, it was a whole mess. What was it? Praise the Lord Network or whatever. And yeah. all that stuff. But I didn't lose my love. I lost my reverence. And John and I were talking about, again, we had some, we, we're excited about this podcast. Cause yeah, we started the podcast like a half hour before <laughs> we actually hit the record button. That's true. But he was saying, and I want to talk about this next question. Uh, you know, why do we lose our reverence or get too comfortable to things of God? Um, even with our church, our local church, we can become really flippant. And it doesn't mean like, hey, we need to pull back the organs and everyone needs to wear like a robe and all right. of that. I'm not, and that's not what I'm saying. Right. But when it comes to like, I've been in a church service before and I don't think I've ever treated it this way. And I, I, I would I'd rather die than do it. But when they treat communion so flippantly yeah. mm-hmm. where it's like a checkbox, like, oh, let's get onto our service and this. And and even like, uh, you know, when you're some of this stuff that goes on, and why we all want to, yeah, it's fun. Praise God. Yes. Rejoice. Yes. Don't, don't hear me wrong here, but we can come to uh, even our gatherings and we can treat the things of God so flippantly mm-hmm. um, because we've ha- allowed that approach into our own hearts. And so mm-hmm. you're mentioning that, John. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's my posture before the Lord is I, I always want to give God my best. Mm-hmm. I never want to go into something without you know, doing the groundwork, you know, Joy, you're talking about, you know, being a cup that overflows, you know, you're going to overflow regardless of what you pour into it. But is that cup going to be beneficial for others? And, you know, the fact of the matter is, if we're not filling it, you know, with scripture, with, you know, the things of the Lord, the things that we have to offer our congregation is garbage. So, yeah. You know, when, when I, you know, when I'm leading worship, I'm never, I would, like Mark said, I would rather die than do this, but Mm -hmm. I would never lead worship without being prepared, not only, you know, musically, like I know the songs, I know the chords, whatever, Mm -hmm. but also like if I haven't been laying the groundwork, spending time with God, Mm-hmm. I'm I'm leading his people in worship. If I'm not also worshiping, then where am I leading them to? Yep. Yeah. Man, John's just full of mic. Drop the mics today. <laughs> you know, it's making me think as you're talking um, about the difference of our fruits and our gifts. Mm. You know, and sometimes I think again, I'm not bashing the local church at all. I mean, I love the local church. Uh, but even even in our own ministry, I think sometimes we can tend to look at like their people's talents and gifts more than the fruit. Totally. And the fruit is a natural, obviously a byproduct of what is happening in the throne room of that secret place that Jesus tells us to go in, to close the door and go into the secret place. And therefore, and then and only then do we have those fruits of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that we're all so desiring to have. But we tend to really desire people's gifts and talents and put them on the platform. And then we wonder why they catapult over when the storm comes in because they didn't have deep roots you know, during during that storm that, that that ushered itself in, and they fall they fall over. But there's this. Uh, I wanted to share this in Deuteronomy ten uh, twelve through thirteen. It says this and says, "Now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God, 
And like just just pausing on that for like what you you require only that I fear the Lord your God. So from the very beginning, God of today is the same God of yesterday, right? So he's 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 letting us know that you've got to have even yes even New Testament Christians we've got to have this reverence this fear of God and he says when you have this fear of God you will live in a way that pleases Him so you're starting to see fruits here and then he says and then you will love Him and then you will serve Him and then you'll be able to obey God's commands and decrees uh, that I'm giving you today for your own good so you're starting to see like just this this posture not behavior but this posture of reverence enables us to please God love God serve God. God, all these things that we're trying to, you know, grab hold of, but we're we're missing the, the the main objective here of finding God in this throne room where we just go before Him in awe of His goodness and His faithfulness and His kindness that draws us to our knees. His kindness brings us to repentance. Amen. Yeah, Romans. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, what I want to do is this is there's so much more to talk about. Kind of put a pause. Sure. On this and and make this a, a comeback for a part two. Maybe three. Maybe. <laughs> I'll be here all week. That would be our first. If we ever did a three, that'd be our first three. Hey. But there's a lot to talk about, and uh, I still keep thinking of that Jimmy Baker story. But it's right. so good. So, so I want to just sign off and then bring you back for part two. Are you good with that, Joy? Sure, love to. All right. Um, and so let me sign off and say we're we're going to continue this on. Uh, make this a two part, maybe three parter. We'll see. We'll, we're not going to put any, you know hard and fast rules on how no. many episodes. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think we need to do that. Nope. <laughs> All right. So let me sign off here. Stream Roots is a production of Barnabas Ministries. You can learn more at BarnabasMinistriesMI.org. BarnabasMinistriesMI.org. If you find this podcast helpful, we encourage you to subscribe or leave a review or rate the podcast or tell a friend. And it allows us to get God's word out to more and more people. And we'd be grateful if you did. We release an episode every Monday morning. Stream Roots, drawing deep from the living water of God's Word. <laughs>